Okay, if you could just give us a level check, that would be great. Do I need to adjust that, or is that something? I won a gold and silver medal. Getting to the Olympic Village was pretty interesting. And then when I made the team, I didn't even have a passport. I'll repeat that. My name is Al Sanchez, a three-time Paralympian, six-time medalist. I'm Elizabeth Beisel, two-time Olympic medalist, and I'm jumping the press rope to take you inside the Athletes' Village, one of the most interesting and exclusive places at the 2020 Tokyo Olympic and Paralympic Games. We'll have unfiltered conversations with Olympic athletes from the ground about the daily experiences that make up a majority of the athlete life at the Games. After all, it isn't all nail-biting pressure and medal ceremonies. And you can hear us in the headphones, okay? Okay, we'll get started in three, two, one. Before we take you inside, we wanted to connect with some athletes who've experienced the village in games past, but aren't heading to Tokyo, to help us understand this special place. The first step, getting there. All right, let's start with your name and some Olympic info. My name is Lori Fernandez, and I am from the Rio 2016 Olympic Games, part of the women's gold medal winning team. Lori, what was your arrival in the Rio Olympic Village like? Getting to the Olympic Village was pretty interesting. I remember taking the bus in and unloading all of our um, suitcases and backpacks and things like that and just walking with the girls and, and finding our apartment complex. And it was just such an experience. It was something that wasn't gymnastics related. It was all of us kind of getting ready for this journey together. And it was pretty, pretty thrilling. We've started seeing the teams coming out of the airports together. Can you take us through that travel experience? So typically we all meet at one state and then we fly into the country together as a team. And so whether that meeting point be LA or New York, or it used to be Texas, <laughs> um, wherever that meeting point might be, we'll all fly there and then we'll go as a as team, even if it might be quicker one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're making this journey with teammates, but because of the depth on Team USA, you're also traveling with competitors who might take your spot in a final. Is there any shade being thrown around in the bus or the plane ride there? Usually it's quite the opposite. Usually everybody's ready to just have a boatload of fun. What happens at practice and at competition stays at practice and at competition. But especially with Team USA and with you know the sportsmanship that I felt in 2016, it was competitive, but in a way that was still, at least to me, felt friendly. Um, and it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like we were snobby about it. We just wanted to do the best that we could. And whoever won meant that you were the best. And that was it. So, you know, we were competitive in our own routines and in our own competitions, but not really with each other in person. There was a lot of love and support that was happening there. And it really felt like a unit to be a part of the final five. Like everything people saw on screen for that, that wasn't a hoax. That was us just being kind of this group of sisters that just ended up getting so close. Lori, you're out of these games as an athlete, but there's still an opportunity to advance sport and, and a platform for social change. And as a part of the LGBTQ and Latinx communities, what are you hoping to see in Tokyo? So yeah, I, I do think that there's going to be a lot of curiosity in the sense of what kind of representation we're going to get, but I do know that we're going to get a lot of it. Um, and that's going to be wonderful. I think especially including you know, LGBT 
like Q plus representation. We see a lot of that prominent now in sport. Um, and we, we see a lot of athletes that are out before getting to the Olympics. Um, and that's wonderful just because I think when things like that are done globally, it shows the whole world that, you know, this is now something that should become normal. And especially, you know, it's something that is normal for the community every single day. It's just getting the world to catch up and, and accept that. Um, and I think being able to be yourself at the Olympics, that is the whole point of it, is that you show up as yourself. Um, and at the same time, like, it, again, just the representation globally is huge. And I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah, of course. And coming as you are embodies that super well. Is there any advice to athletes who are arriving in the Olympic Village for the first time that you would give them? Oh, I would say to take it in, take a lot of photos, like a lot of photos. You can delete them later, <laughs> which you never will. Um, take a lot of videos because something about hearing the sound of the country, which I know doesn't really make a lot of sense, but like every time you take a video in a different country or a different state, the buzz in the back is different. Um, and I remember listening to videos. I still will listen to videos that happened in Tokyo and the sound of the room and how we all talked and our dynamic was so prominent. And it was something that my memory will retain as a little bit fuzzy, but then I see those videos and it's like, I'm immediately sent back. So take a lot of videos. Don't be ashamed to ask for photos and take photos. Um, be respectful of all the athletes Try to enjoy yourself as best as possible. I know this one is tough because of COVID protocols, but at the same time, you are at the Olympics. Embrace that. Um, let's see what else. Be kind to the alternates. Don't exclude them. They're not less than because they're not on the team. That's not a fair thing. They are just as well Olympians as you are. Um, do your best to include them because, you know, they're doing the best they can. A lot of alternates... Like for us in, in 2016, I know that the alternates stayed and trained in a completely different location. Um, and so I'm sure that probably felt quite excluded. And I'm not sure how it works for other sports. But um, if you do see an alternate walking around, say hello, be friends with them. You know, they deserve to be there just as, as much as anybody else, too. Do I need to adjust that or is that something? Okay. All right. So my name is Shantae Lowe. I am a four-time Olympian and the American record holder in the women's high jump. I snuck in a couple of world championships in there, but very proud that I'm also a mother of three while doing all those things. Absolutely incredible. Shantae, how many athlete villages have you seen? And take us through your experiences for each of them. I have participated in four. All right, so the first Olympics that I competed in, I was a sophomore in college at Georgia Tech. I fully expected to make that team, yet it was a super big surprise at the same time. Um, I had wanted to go to the Olympics ever since I was four years old. And then when I made the team, I didn't even have a passport. So <laughs> I had to rush after the competition, get a passport. I went to Athens and it was the most amazing experience. I was in complete shock because all of the women that I was competing against were the ones I had learned to high jump from, from VHS videos. So <laughs> I was in shock. It was more about the experience and being there than it was about the competition. Um, the second Olympics that I competed in, I was just finishing up college. I had went pro because I had already gotten a medal from the World Championships. I went to Beijing. My husband and I had a nursing 11-month-old daughter when I went to that Olympic Games, and I ended up getting my first Olympic medal. Um, 2012, 
It was an amazing competition. Honestly, there were so many changes in the order. <laughs> I don't know which place I got, but I'm, I'm standing at fourth right now for that games. And it was a time I was able to bring my husband with me. It was the first time he was able to travel overseas with me. My grandmother who raised me, she was able to come to the competition with me. And it was just one of those moments I was able to share with my family. And my grandmother, she lives in California, has only left California to go to Arizona, which was to take me to a college recruiting trip. And now she had traveled across the world to watch this little jumping bean that she watched grow up, jump on the world's biggest stage. And that was like my heart and my soul. That was my Olympic medal at that games. I would not trade that minute for, or that moment for anything in the world. And then in 2016, my most recent Olympics, um, I got to compete against some of the best women in the world. And right at the last minute, the tip of my shoe knocks the bar down. And I could not believe that I was going to go home empty-handed. What surprised you most when you got to the village? Yeah, so for me, I thought that I was going to be excited about being in this place where everyone was athletes and they all looked the same. They'd all be fit. They'd all, you know, I wouldn't stand out. But it was the exact opposite. When I went into the village, I saw diversity in a way that I could not even imagine. So you're standing next to the gymnasts and they're not even five feet tall, yet they're built and made perfectly to to do amazing things in their particular sport. And in, I think it was 2000, it might've been 2008, but one of the Olympics that I went to, I got to exchange pins with Yao Ming. And just seeing him, I remember it It caught my attention, not only how tall he is, because he's almost eight feet tall. I'm 5'10", and I felt like a very, very short person. But like the enormity of his calves, his calves were like bigger than my head. And I realized that he was made perfectly for his, for his sport to play basketball. And I realized that if I stepped back, and looked at the Olympics as a whole, nobody came to just see one person. They came to see every athlete compete at the best in a diverse group of, of sports. And I was just one small part of it, yet I looked like no one else, but I was perfectly made to do what I was there to do. And I think that that was the biggest shock of going into the Olympic Village. So when you first walk into that Olympic Village, can you describe what you see, what you feel, the emotions behind walking into such an incredible place? Okay. So when you walk in, you're going to go through the most scrutinizing, slow, painstaking process of security that you would ever imagine. So it's like airport security to like 10,000. And you're going to see, you know, dogs, you're going to see soldiers, you're going to see armed um, gentlemen or, or ladies standing there to make sure that you're protected. Um, any vehicle going in or out of the village is scanned. You like they have the mirrors going underneath it. They have the bomb sniffing dogs, and you're just wondering, like, I just want to go eat, <laughs> but you know it's for your protection. And then once you get past the security, usually the place that you're going to come to is going to be the dining hall. That is the hub for all athletes. And so you go into the dining hall. There is like, it's like two football fields full of tables and then several different stations. So some people around the world don't eat a traditional breakfast like we see here in the United States, not pancakes, eggs. You know, some people might eat like, 
you know, wontons or or maybe um, beans and franks. Like it's completely different. So they have different stations according to nation or sector of the world to accommodate most everyone's type of eating diet. And so you see sometimes where um, they'd bring out, I think it was like Snickers bars or Twix. I think it was Snickers. Actually, I'm 100% sure it was Snickers. And within minutes, people who did not have Snickers in their country would grab like buckets and buckets of Snickers. (laughs) And we're just looking like, wow, we took it for granted. We didn't know that it was a big deal. Did you ever go when your children were young? We just heard that they're allowing nursing moms to bring their babies, which is incredible. I I had a nursing child. And that's so funny because they're talking about that now where the babies weren't allowed to come. Mine was not allowed to come. So it was a very painful experience for me. And it was mostly because I was going to stay in the village and they were not going to allow my daughter in the village. And so I was very, very much hoping that they would allow the women to bring their children. And I'm so happy that they have made that decision because this is a, it was a very, very physically painful process to not have my child there with me. I'm sure. And as a village veteran, is there any advice to those athletes going to their first Olympic experience? I would say, well, first thing I would tell them is, you know, definitely you're there to compete. Make sure you do that. But take pictures. You don't know if this is going to be your first of 17 Olympic Games or your last. But some of the regrets that I had from my earlier Olympic days, I cannot find a single picture from 2004. And I wish that I had it. But I was trying so hard to feel like I fit in. And I didn't want to be the fangirl that was taking pictures of everyone. And now I'm like, oh, my gosh, I wish I would have taken pictures of everyone. (laughs) And um There's a lot of things around the Olympic Village that I'm not sure if they'll have this year, but there was a salon. There was a um, there were a lot of different houses. So you'd have like the Team USA house or the Beats house or the Nike house or different places around the city where you could go get an amazing meal and interact with sponsors. And I hope that there's some semblance of being able to do that. I'm not sure if there will be, but that was probably one of the best experiences and then sit around the table and talk to the old athletes. I did that my first Olympics, maybe first or the second. I remember sitting and having a conversation with Bernard Lagat. And I'm like, what is the secret to your longevity? And he told me. And that's why I think I was able to go to so many Olympic games because I listened. So definitely take a notebook and take in that wisdom. And don't be afraid because athletes there will be happy to share it with you. Maybe not your com- direct competitors, but maybe someone that's not directly competing against you. At every other Olympics, the priority is about how healthy you can be. And now the priority is not getting sick. Yeah. You know, even though we're watching these athletes and we're seeing that they're healthy, you know, specimens at the same time, we have to prioritize health and prioritize them as people. Um, There's going to be the mental health component of what they're dealing with, but also the, like physically, like you said, not trying to get sick. And I think that exercise and cleanliness, listening to the guidelines, not breaking the rules that are set, you know, set to protect them, I think is is going to be paramount. Um, gratefully, several athletes and several people have already taken advantage of being being able to have access to the vaccine. But at the same time, like it's going to be very important that we listen to the guidance of the experts that have put the plans in place. Because I think that when you see, if you see anomalies or see people that are getting sick, it's going to more than likely be people 
that have stepped outside of that realm of safety. So definitely study, understand and learn what the rules are and, and, and follow them. Yeah. First question. uh, Do you hear my fan off in the background or is it? Yep. We're all good. Okay. All right. We're good. Uh, My name is Oz Sanchez, uh, three-time Paralympian. So Oz, how do you think athletes are going to adapt to these very unique games with no spectators and very limited interactions in the village? Yeah. So I guess the, uh, the, the absent but implicit um, idea is the notion that Many of these athletes, by the time they get to uh, competing at an Olympic or Paralympic venue, understand that they have had years of experience um, that has allowed them to flourish and develop themselves as an athlete, to be a formidable force, to be able to be selected to go there in the first place, right? And so we understand that this experience. What we fail to recognize is that it was all that experience came from trials and tribulations in all of those years leading up to this event, which is Tokyo, right? And so if we do not recognize and value that it is that experience of strife, struggle, uh, fighting tooth and nail, every world championships, every medal, every match, you know, uh, that is essentially the the tools that we lean lean into, uh, which creates and encompasses that experience. Um, but much of the time, we lose sight of that, right? And if I look back at my last uh, two games, um, well, actually, we'll just keep it simple. Uh, Rio, I went in there with a, 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 a odd timing, but another uh, a severe uh, physical uh, health impediment, which was overtraining fatigue syndrome, where I cracked myself by just overstressing. Um, and that games, even though I, I, I made selection and I still won two medals, um, taught me the most because, uh, both emotionally, spiritually, and, str- uh, strategically, uh, I learned the most from that supposed setback than had I gone in there in optimal health and pulled off the same two medals or maybe even better. Uh, you know, and, and going back over and over and over again, I've lost, uh, I'm sorry, I've learned more from all of my losses. Uh, rather than my wins. And so in this case, you know, uh, sure, I'm not uh, competing in Tokyo this year. My health is suboptimal. I've had some sort of bacterial infection in my blood. Um, And I think I will learn more from this experience uh, just as I did in Rio. Um, And it's this very essence of being that that, uh, sort of uh, war-tested or combat-tested soldier, you know, that crusty old bastard, that everybody just admires and respects because he's so calm and collective in the face of bullets flying, you know, how do you get to that point? It's the very experience. And so if we just remember that all of those years of experiences is what's got us here, you can lean into that and keep in mind that nothing Tokyo throws at you could really be anything new. It may be novelty and different, but it's not anything new really. Yeah. And I think the thinking then is that even if all of these athletes are creatures of habit and generally hyper-disciplined people, adapting is kind of already their strength in reality. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So as a fan, Oz, what are you most excited to watch in Tokyo? Um, well, first and foremost, I'm really curious to see what Tokyo has uh, you know, uh, put forth um, I know that Japan has had uh, a, a rather interesting career with hosting the games. And the last time they hosted, I think, was in the, in the midst or around the World War II timeframe. And it was a partially attended or partially not attended. Um, 
So I think just knowing them as a culture of uh, strong tradition and ceremony, much like China, um, and then, you know, regarding China, probably a comparison to what China did. And I do think they felt that pressure to deliver on par, uh, if not uh, a, a very unique, uh, maybe even superior experience than what uh, Beijing did. Um, so that's the first element, obviously. Um, and I think that can be had with or without uh, spectatorship. Um, uh, because again, the opening ceremonies and closing ceremonies and the venues themselves uh, are, are structures uh, and, uh, um, you know, attendance of uh, fans shouldn't really take away from that. Um, obviously, the lack of spectatorship for the track and field athletes or uh, any of the uh, swimmers or any, any venue that hosts uh, 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 typically has uh, viewership, uh, live uh, physical viewership, will probably be very unique experiences. Um, I, I'm a keynote speaker. And I can't imagine what it would be like um, standing on a stage, speaking to a camera with literally nobody in the audience. Um, I've done virtual platform speakings, but, you know, this is kind of different where you don't expect to see people. Uh, but physically being on stage performing without people viewing you, I think, would be is, is going to be a bit of a, uh, a new twist. Um, so I'd be curious to see how, uh, if anything, there's a measurable... Um, sort of component where athletes perform different um, and the results are different uh, overall uh, or not, who knows. But yeah, I, I think Tokyo is just going to be a, a very interesting. Uh, mostly also uh, is, is the televised component uh, of not only I enjoy watching the Olympics, absolutely, but now the possibility that the Paralympics have some airtime um, uh, on NBC in the United States is also going to be a nice treat. Uh, I am still uh, struggling and recovering from this, uh, you know, what started out as a kidney infection. Um, and until we get a handle on uh, what is really the culprit, because we still don't have a solid idea uh, as to what's going on, because uh, I have much of the symptomology of just chronic fatigue and, and you know, whatnot. Uh, I'll probably just be vegging out uh, watching the games um, yeah, as much as I can, as much as my, my nine-month-old son will allow it. <laughs> oh, wow. Lots to keep you distracted from not going to Tokyo at home then. And you're based in LA, right? Uh, I'm in the San Diego area. I'm from LA. Yeah. So are you excited by the skateboarding and surfing events? Those those sports have some strong SoCal roots. I was a pretty uh, avid skater when I was growing up for many, many, many years. Uh, I think skateboard was the modality until I took up the bike uh, later in my uh, mid-teens. Um, the Tony Hawk is based out of, uh, Oceanside. Um, you know, obviously Sean White is, uh, one of his protégés and now we have another protégé coming out from the same area. I forget his name. Um, but he's also local to the, uh, Oceanside area. Uh, so yeah, Southern California uh, between surfing and skateboarding did and has introduced uh, a couple of sports that'll be cool to watch. So yeah, I look forward to watching those two uh, performances as well. And as a Marine, you know a thing or two about obeying protocols. How do you approach rules that might feel strict or that are constantly changing? And what mindset is going to be the most effective for athletes complying to those COVID protocols in the village? Yeah, my, well, my approach to, uh, uh, you know, regards to uh, uh, rules, regulations, process and protocols is um, I, I don't waste my time fighting against what is a reality that is factual in spite of my having opposition to it and emotions. Um, so if, if there's a rule in place, 
you know, and it's nothing that I can change through my gripes or whatever, then I simply learn to abide by it. Because it's, it's, you know, essentially the strict discipline uh, of adherence to day-to-day training and uh, routine that has gotten me to where I'm at. And just because I have set those that precedence and those rules for myself with regards to my diet, my sleep, my training, and recovery, right, doesn't mean that anything outside of that bubble isn't of value, right? Because my own strict adherence to my rules and, 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 and governance of how I, I'm an effective athlete uh, is something that I respect and I don't deviate from lightly uh, in spite of being at social events uh, or, or on vacation. I still actually follow much of my own protocols. And so just because there's uh, uh, some rules around, you know, face masks or, or whatnot, uh, doping, uh, sub, uh, pro, you know, prohibited substance uses, I don't disregard that. I say that there's a bigger picture that uh, is, is the reason for these protocols, and I'll respect them just as much as I respect my own. Um, now, if there's uh, something that's just uh, egregiously uh, um, uh, useless or actually uh, uh, oppressive to my ability to succeed as an athlete, well, I'll take the proper channels to, uh, you know, voice my experience, my, my thoughts on that to maybe have that modified or, or changed. But otherwise, uh, I'm pretty good at abiding with uh, rules and regulations myself. Six, five, four, three, two, one. I'm Kathleen Baker. I'm an Olympic swimmer. I went to the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio, and I won a gold and silver medal. Kathleen, you aren't heading to Tokyo this time, but you have a history of success there. Can you tell us about that? Yes, I have been to Tokyo at multiple different meets and was able to go to the 2018 Pan Pacific Games in Tokyo, and I won the 200-meter backstroke there as well. I remember one of the first days we walked around and ate in like a hole in the wall ramen place. Um, and I remember that being just like a fun experience that I did with a bunch of my teammates. Yeah. And bigger, we've been on USA swimming teams before. We've actually been to Tokyo before at a world cup. And it really is that behind the scenes fun that most people don't see, but we're so grateful to have, um, switching gears. Can you explain what it's like to get to the Olympic games? You know, it's a trip the athletes are doing right now. And what is that like for travel? Yeah, so the lead up to, lead up to Rio, um, because of Zika, all of our camps sort of changed around, and we were doing our camp, final training camp in Atlanta. So we fru- flew from Atlanta to Rio um, in like a private plane, and we all had our own business class seats, which was pretty cool. Um, and then getting into Rio, it was my first Olympic experience, and super cool to be able to arrive at a village, and pretty much like every building is a country's building. Some of the smaller countries share, but obviously Team USA all the way. So we got our own building. It was like 18 stories high. And I remember thinking it was so awesome because we got to run into so many of the other um, Team USA athletes in the elevator, in the lobby, or in the one of the snack rooms, um, which is pretty cool because um, as cool as you think your sport is, another athlete thinks it's cooler. So it's always fun to hear like who's like, oh my God, I'm so excited to meet the swimmers when we're excited to meet the gymnasts or the track people or anything like that. Yeah, it's so exciting to meet all the other athletes. And is there any plain karaoke on that flight or maybe a Call Me Maybe sequel perhaps from the village? Yeah, for sure. Fun group. No Call Me Maybe this time, um, but we are able to uh, play a lot and we uh, have a pool, um, like a play pool. 
at the village connected to sort of our apartment building. And we all were like doing flips into the water there and jumping around and um, really having a good time. I remember my coach reminded me like, you have to stay off your legs. You have to rest. You're at the Olympics. You can't just play in the pool with your friends. But I think that environment is what helps Team USA be so amazing is that lighthearted and funness when you're able to also be able to turn it on and be serious in the moments that you have to be serious when you're competing. Yeah. Can you tell people about the vibe in the Olympic Village? I think it depends on every person and um, every sport. Like for swimming, the competition is eight days long. So if you're swimming a lot of the eight days, then the eight days of competition, you're probably not going to be you know, joking around and doing that type of stuff. But let's say you uh, swim the 400 free relay, for example, I think it's on day one, and you could be finished on day one, and you have seven more days to just support your teammates and cheer and enjoy. Um, So that's a whole different world than if you swim. For me, I swam day two and three, and I swam eight, day eight. So in between, I was still very much in meat mode and serious mode. Um, But after I won my silver medal, my roommate and I could not sleep at all. Um, And I remember going to the dining hall at 4 a.m. and eating pizza and popsicles together. And it's one of my favorite moments of my entire Olympic experience because I got to share something so unique, which is meddling with one of my favorite teammates and my Olympic roommates who I swam with leading up into the Olympic Games and just going into like a dining hall at 4 a.m. and it's completely empty, but it's open 24 hours a day. And we were just eating pizza and popsicles and then just enjoying the moment, which is something that people don't really see in the behind the scenes of when you win an Olympic medal because you have some sports who are training at 4 a.m. or getting back or having to leave for different stuff and for swimmers we were getting back to the village at 1 or 2 a.m. so we're like rolling in late gymnastics was the same way and so we're all like the only ones in dining hall then so that's why it's open so late is because everyone is on such a different schedule at all times pretty much and then there's also the people that are coming back from parties at different countries who are coming back to the village um, who are done competing and things like that so it's a whole circle of different people still competing people enjoying the games uh, and it's fun to sort of just see what other sports are doing yeah Baker how different do you imagine this village experience is going to be for these Tokyo athletes I think that um, We don't really know because Tokyo is so different than Rio. Uh, I think that there's going to be a lot less interacting like there has been in the past. Like we trade uh, pins, our Team USA pins. Everyone in the village trains trades pins, whatever country you're on. And I guarantee that's not going to be there this year. Um, And things that were one of the most fun parts about the village is being able to have that camaraderie with other sports. And it's definitely going to be living in little bubbles, I think, around the village and um, it's definitely going to be a different experience. I guarantee that the dining hall is not going to be the same, you know, four football fields of everyone eating the same area at all times. Um, I definitely feel like that's going to be a huge change, but um, everyone compares one Olympics to the next, but everyone is different. Everyone has its great moments and its flaws. And typically when you're there, you're just really happy to be a part of the Olympic team. And part of being on that Olympic team is that you get to wear the very exclusive Olympic gear. Can you tell the listeners about the amazing fun that is team processing? Um, So in 2016, we got to go to like a huge conference room and it was just like tables and tables and tables and tables of clothes, all the Nike gear, all the Ralph Lauren stuff, all the USA swimming gear. And you tried on everything to make sure you got the right sizes. There's a tailor there to tailor your um, Olympic opening and closing ceremonies outfits. And it's a really, really, really special moment. And I remember leaving being like, I have three suitcases 
now of new clothes and being so excited. And I still wear so much of my Olympic gear and um, being able to put on that opening ceremonies outfit is one of my favorite uh, moments. We didn't walk in opening ceremonies. Typically, most swimmers don't. It's too close to our races and it's a lot of time on your feet. But we still put on the whole outfit, went in the village and took photos. And it's just a really awesome moment that you get to share with so many of your teammates. Um, That is just one of the best moments I have in my uh, Olympic experience. Yeah, Kathleen, I remember we were actually walking around the village together that night and getting photos with all of the athletes in their gear. It's it's just so cool. And and when those athletes arrive in Tokyo wearing their cool gear, what advice do you have for their experience in the village? Um, one of my biggest advice is journal every single day. I journaled every single day of training camp and the Olympic Games. And I look back on that and I love it because I did not write about how I felt about winning a silver medal. I wrote about what I did, what I ate, who I hung out with, what the little team moments were. And it's so fun to look back on that because it's things that you can forget easily. And then my next thing is to really just enjoy the process and the moment. You are an Olympian. No one will ever take that away from you. And I think that's a really cool thing to think about when you're standing up on the block, that you are already an Olympian and you will always will be. Join us starting July 23rd for conversations with the names you know and those you'll be happy to discover, telling us about life at the 2020 Tokyo Games. Follow now wherever you're currently listening to get automatic downloads. For more Olympic coverage from Tokyo, check out NBCOlympics.com. And starting July 23rd, tune into the networks of NBC. NBC.